to Ghoul's Night In, the spooky chat show with your best ghoul friends. I'm Penny Snark. And I'm Midge Munster. And uh, today I have a topic that was inspired by um, some of my recent activities. <laughs> oh. Uh, yes. Um, so I went to the Oddities and Curiosities Expo this weekend. Uh. Um, hashtag not sponsored, just a fun thing <laughs> that I like to do. Um, and there are all sorts of really cool. So it's a traveling, um, show with different vendors. There are artists, there are funky antiques, and there is a lot of taxidermy. Mm. I will, uh, I will be going on June 25th here in Kansas City. I'm very excited. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> yes. And so I thought, I think the taxidermy is something that is like cool and creepy in equal measures. Um, so I thought that it had a place on Ghoul's Night Inn. I love that. Um, let's, let's start off with a vibe check. What do you, what are your thoughts about taxidermy, Midge? Uh, I mean, I was raised in a household that had a lot of taxidermy on display. <laughs> uh, my my father is a hunter, mm-hmm. um, but not like a not like a yee yee hunter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he he we did have like deer heads and turkey. Like we have a whole a whole ass turkey like mounted and flying like uh displayed in our basement. So I think I was always raised just kind of around it. So I never um. I never really felt like uncomfortable around it or anything. Um, And I think my dad always like used it as an opportunity to teach me about like respect for animals and stuff. So I, I think it's cool. Um, But uh, yeah, especially like I have kind of a mixed depending on, I think there's a line where I find it disrespectful. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll have a kind of a variety. We'll go through some of the history today. I definitely agree. I did not have any taxidermy in my house growing up, um, but it is extremely Midwestern. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely know someone, if you live in the Midwest, who has <laughs> like deer mounts and in it's their me. house <laughs> or turkeys. Or, you know, some of my, a lot of my friends uh, growing up, I would go to their house and there would be various mounted things um so it is pretty common and i was also a huge um museum fan growing up yeah this will come up a little bit later um but there is a lot of like really cool museum dioramas um with things like that so that's kind of where i have always come from in kind of the world of taxidermy yeah (laughs) again with my dad being an outdoorsman we spent a lot of time in like the very fancy outdoor stores that have like all the the very elaborate animals, uh, animal scenes. So, <laughs> yes. Um, and I just did want to shout out, um, one of my sources today is a little bit of a spoiler alert, um, for the oh. rest of the episode, but it's from Smithsonian magazine, um, entitled why taxidermy is being revived in the 21st century. Uh, so let's go way back. Um, so the, the term taxidermy um, comes from the Greek taxis, arrangement, and derma, skin. So, Oh, not a skin arrangement. The skin, delightful. <laughs> um, Sounds like the world's like most nightmare-fueled bouquet. Right. Mm, S- send skin a skin arrangement. arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so forms of animal preservation um, go back as far as ancient Egypt. Um, Obviously the Egyptians would embalm pets um, of the royalty to be buried in the tomb and apparently like embalm things as big as a hippo, which is wild. Um, And 
ancient people, of course, tanned skins for both decorative and functional purposes. Um, but this, you know, wasn't done for the purpose of like emulating that lifelike appearance, um, which is kind of what we think of um, for the term taxidermy. And that practice really began in Europe in the 16th and 17th centuries. So the first mounting attempt on record actually happened in the Netherlands. Uh, so a wealthy trader was bringing a variety of exotic birds home, uh, but unfortunately they did not survive uh, the trip oh, back home. No. Uh, but he still wanted to enjoy their plumage, um, so they were skinned, preserved with spices, uh, then wired and stuffed with cotton and posed in, quote, natural poses, which uh, seems to be kind of like, you know, what, what differentiates taxidermy from any other kind of method of yeah. animal thing. <laughs> what a, does it, did it say, like, what does it mean preserved with spices? Yeah. So I think it's kind of like how, you know, people in the olden times would like do like salt pork and things like oh, that to kind sure. of preserve spices. Like, um, they had different, you know, spices that they knew would, you know, kind of prevent things from spoiling. But huh. you actually have pointed me right to the next point in my, <laughs> my document. Um, there was a bird skin collector named Jean-Baptiste Becourt, I will say, <laughs> um, who really revolutionized the process when he developed, what could it be? Is it our old buddy Arsenic? Ooh, yes, hey. it is. The um, green the green <laughs> goddess. <laughs> he um, invented something called arsenical soap, which was a combo of pulverized arsenic, white soap, and calcium oxide. Mm. Um, so it was so he actually kept this a secret his entire life. Um, okay. So they believe that he invented it around 1743. And this was something that was huge for protecting um, taxidermied mounts from insects. Mm. Did um, did Jean Baptiste die from uh, you know mysterious poisoning <laughs> right. causes? Mm, very possible. Um, but yeah, so he kept it a secret during his lifetime. But like people noticed that his specimens were like much better preserved, and that like his collection was not being bothered by bugs. And so they kind of like reversed engineered it after hmm. his death um and this brought the golden age of taxidermy um that kind of spanned from 1840 um through world war one wow so the popularity of taxidermy in this period i think like it definitely makes sense it is an opportunity to you know see things before like realistic photography was really available yeah. Um, it was something that was really popular with collectors and with scientists and also just with the general public because, you know, there was no way for you to see any of these super cool birds or like an elephant. Like you would literally never see anything besides an illustration of that until taxidermy came I around. I think when we, when we did the, um, the sideshow episode, the P.T. Barnum, mm -hmm. the museum that he had, that was like one of his shticks. also was that they had taxidermy. Yes, exactly. Yeah, like come see a real life elephant, not a lie. Right? <laughs> it's still real life, but this one's dead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, the, the quote that I really liked about this um, 
the British zoologist William Swainson in his treatise on taxidermy from 1840 uh, wrote, taxidermy is an art absolutely essential to be known to every naturalist since without it, he cannot pursue his studies or preserve his own materials. Hmm. So it really was considered like, you know, a big part of this scientific um, pursuit. And um, taxidermy was also extremely popular in Victorian home decor um, what? Right. Shocking. Um, the Victorians wanted dead things dead in their homes. <laughs> apparently, like birds were kind of like the main, you know, feature for that. But just like today, you know, it was also a way for hunters to display their trophies mm-hmm. from their their grand adventures. And as we noted, um, taxidermy was a big part of a lot of museums, and. As we must have every episode, I have a, a Milwaukee connection. Oh, we need like a theme like Milwaukee connection. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there is a gentleman named Carl Akeley, who is considered the father of modern taxidermy. Um, what a title. In, right. He invented a new mounting technique um, that became like the standard that people still use today. And he worked at the Milwaukee Public Museum um, starting oh. in 1886. So he only worked there for, I think, eight years. And then he went on to be the lead taxidermist at the Field Museum in Chicago. He did um, the taxidermy for the American Natural History Museum in New York. He did projects for the Smithsonian. And as you just mentioned, um, he helped mount Jumbo, P.T. Barnum's elephant. Yeah, boy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. making those connections at the yes, milwaukee connection right. every, every creepy person is connected and most of them has something to do with wisconsin <laughs> um so i did get like a description of like what this sweet new mounting process was Ooh, okay it's somewhat somewhat um complicated um but basically it was a method that really lets you like preserve the like actual shape Mm. of the animal so like instead of just doing like a wire armature you create like a clay model that like does that like duplicates like the muscle structure and then you make like a plaster mold so that it's a light frame but it will like hold the skin like in the exact correct position that's cool and his his goal was to create mounts that looked not just lifelike but alive which i thought was a cool quote that is that's what a like crazy art form like (laughs) right yeah um taxidermy was so popular that like in like um england and america definitely there was a taxidermist like like every city would have like your taxidermist like a starbucks like one on every corner Mm -hmm. well so the 1891 london census showed that there were 369 taxidermists operating just in london which is one taxidermist for every 15,000 residents at the time wow we that's crazy yeah, and um, there was another quote included in this article, which was from Patrick A. Morris's History of Taxidermy, um, and it said, you know, taxidermists during the late 19th century were treated as just another person who did a job, like a hair barber or a butcher, 
or a window cleaner. Like it was just, you know, a thing that your town had. <laughs> Picturing like somebody taking their dry cleaning, but like on the other arm, they've just got like deer skin. They're like, <laughs> yes. okay, like out to run my daily errands. <laughs> like, oh, better stop by the grocery store and then I'll, I'll drop off these rare birds at the yeah. taxidermist. <laughs> um, but yeah, so taxidermy... After this huge, huge boom of it, um, it did start to lose popularity after World War One um, for a couple of different reasons. This was when amateur photography really became a lot more possible mm. for people. So they were able to take photographs. There were also scientific advancements in the ways to colorize photos. Um, and also something that I have kind of in in my notes to talk about a little bit later in regards to modern taxidermy. Um, but there was a decline in the acceptability of like big game hunting. Yeah. Like, you know, people started to be like, Hey, this is kind of fucked up. <laughs> maybe we shouldn't <laughs> hey. go places and kill the animals that live there. Yeah. And then maybe bring them back that. to our house. <laughs> <laughs> Valid. Valid yeah. points. Um, but um, taxidermy was definitely a popular folk craft. It was, in fact, even a potential Boy Scout badge. Um, there oh was a goodness. taxidermy merit badge introduced in 1911. Um, and 10,344 scouts earned it before it was removed in 1954 for lack of interest. Hit us up uh, if you're... Like someone in your life has a taxidermy Boy Scout badge. Right? Oh my your, God. your grandfather or your father have a. <laughs> I love that. But yeah, so taxidermy certainly never went away, um, but it was just nowhere near as prevalent. And I feel like that's probably like the period where it kind of slipped into the weird. Like it was just like a very normal, like home decor kind of thing. And I think during this period where it fell out of favor, it started to get kind of like that reputation as being something like odd and bizarre. We love when things fall out of favor and fall into our jurisdiction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But as, as the Smithsonian article promised, taxidermy is experiencing a major upswing these days. Um, It's got a lot of new interest and um, something that I and you, of course, will love. There are a lot more women who are interested in taxidermy. Yeah, there's actually a a shop in KC. It's one of my favorite like metaphysical shops and it's woman owned and run. And they um, I mean, you know, they have all your general like crystals and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. But the, the women who work there are all taxidermists and they or when you go in there to shop, they're all in there all day, just in the back with all, all these little things, animals yeah. and stuff and recompiling skeletons and things. It's very cool. Right. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons um, that was given for the reason that it's more popular is like information, you know, obviously is available online now. So it's much mm. more accessible. Apparently back in the day, you used to do like mail order taxidermy classes, which what? seems very intimidating to me. I would not. I would not get um, <laughs> that in the mail and be like, "I can do this." Yeah, they send you like one muscle structure at a time. Like what? Right. Yeah. No. Uh, and and kind of in the the opposite of like the fact that information is available online, um, people are also looking for like hands on things. Like we all live so much in a very digital world, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are really seeking hobbies um, that allow them to make things and feel a lot more, you know, physically connected to life. Um, And 
I really liked um, this other quote from Morris that was in the article said, I think people have been insulated from animal specimens for so long that when someone picks up a bone or skull, they are completely knocked out by it, by what an incredible, wonderful thing it is. The same goes for a dead bird. When it is physically in your hand, you want to preserve it. It becomes special. And I definitely kind of felt that vibe. Like, you know, when I'm looking at like this taxidermy, you know, out and about and at the oddities fair just seeing cool things and being like yeah like i love that this is preserved and that we get to keep enjoying it well it is like i mean kind of tying into what you're saying about people wanting to connect with things like there is a real connection to nature and to like our own sense of mortality in it too i think it's really beautiful um I think it's like the same reason we're seeing a lot of people like pick up roller skating again, mm-hmm. right? Like people want to yeah. be outside and want to be like connected to the earth, I think. And um, yeah, I think it's it's really cool to, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you dissected stuff in, in school, I like did. I did. seeing, I don't know, like seeing a living thing and how it's all put together is so fascinating. And it's like, wow, like we're all just a bunch of parts. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Oh my gosh, we are. But yeah, and I think one of the other things that's just really cool about taxidermy is that it really is kind of in this mid-zone between science and art. Mm-hmm. Like um, the taxidermist that I was reading interviews from for this, like, you know, they definitely see themselves as artists. This is a creative pursuit, but the highest value is really on this biological accuracy and kind of presenting an animal in the way that it would have lived. Um, it's beautiful and educational. Love that. Uh, do you, does it, um, where, what's the line? <laughs> like, um, <laughs> because I, I follow a, the reason I ask, I follow a woman on Instagram and I wish I could remember her handle off the top of my head. Um, uh, but she preserves, you know, moths and insects and things. I don't, do you know, does that fall in the same category as like taxidermy? Um, I think that it's a different process. Like I, I, I cannot officially say because I am not a taxidermist. Yeah. I didn't like, know if your it came no. up in your research somewhere. <laughs> I feel like I, I kind of like put them in the, they're in like the same category of like mm-hmm. preservation, but yeah. I think. I think that like the taxidermy involves some kind of, cause like, I think with the well, moth I, that you just like put it up, like I don't right. like you do like a chemical process to it, but I don't think you like take anything out of it or like replace <laughs> you, it. You don't. And you, would you like to know how I know? <laughs> yeah, please, please tell me. Uh, my gifted program in eighth grade, we did an entire thing on this where we had to collect uh, like all the different types of bugs and preserve. I did a whole bug display project where I like had to collect them and uh, kill them more or less. Yeah. <laughs> you put them in the, in the sad jar anyway. Um, so yeah, you're right. You don't. And I guess to now thinking back on what you said that the origins taxidermy is skin arrangement. Bugs don't have skin. Yeah, they don't have skin. Although, so. like, it can involve. I mean, I don't know. Do fit? Yeah, fish have skin. I was like, you can do a fish, but I, I was like, do you call it like their scales? But you do. Well, call yeah, it skin. yeah. <laughs> well, just the, the 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 this woman that I follow. It's very interesting. She'll like repair wings, like oh, very yeah. very yeah. intricate, detailed, like 
putting you know re repairing the wing repairing the body uh like exoskeleton it's it's fascinating to watch um really yes. really beautiful definitely not trying to minimize oh no 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 insect mounting i didn't want to be like well you don't do anything i just mean you do a different <laughs> set of things yeah than this thing but i'm actually not sure if it includes um <laughs> drop bugs. in if you're a if you're a taxidermist <laughs> Yes. Uh, all of our all of our many listeners that I'm sure are taxidermy professionals. I wouldn't be surprised if we had yeah. a few. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and something else that is very um, important and interesting in modern taxidermy, I think, is this increased focus on ethical sourcing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did see that um, in several of the booths um, that I saw at the Oddities Fair where they had a little sign up, you know, saying that um, none of the animals here w- died for the purpose of taxidermy. Um, people, you know, take roadkill or, um, there was one taxidermist I read an article about who like works with like a state, um, invasive species, um, arm where like they, um, are removing this invasive species. Um, but she is able to then give those, those birds a new life as, as taxidermies. Um, but you also see, you know, a big raise in faux taxidermy, like in interior design. Like I'm sure you remember that period where those like cardboard deer heads were super popular. Um, or there are people, um, I follow an artist on Instagram called Misfit Menagerie and she makes like plush taxidermy mounts. also follow Misfit Menagerie. So cute. (laughs) I Um, want, she has a flamingo head that I want so badly for my Palm Springs room. So good. (laughs) Um, or potentially the next stage, um, something that I saw at the Oddities Fair that I was really interested in, 3D printing. Um, oh, this, cool. This um, gentleman had a, you know, a wide variety of like posed skeletons, basically, and a note that um, these are all 3D printed for, you know, sustainability purposes, wow, which I thought cool. was really cool. And that's... Um, I do have uh, a piece that um, some of you who follow me may have seen it um, that I actually bought at a previous Oddities and Curiosities Expo (laughs) um, that is a human skull with butterflies. It is certainly not a real human skull. It is a resin skull, but with real butterflies. But like you can definitely do things like that where you can replicate the look of some of these remains in order to... Um, you know, make it both more sustainable and, you know, more accessible to people. It's certainly more affordable to have a 3D printed or molded um, skeleton piece. My my wheels are spinning now because I I don't know if I've shared this with you yet, but in the course of six months, my husband has acquired not one, but three 3D printers. Mm-hmm. Um, and our I, we have a whole 3D printing set up in our house now. And I'm like, ooh, go throw me a little skelly skeleton. Yes. Uh, and I will say the one other big category that we are not going to talk about today um, is gaff taxidermy, because that could be a whole episode on itself. And maybe it will be. Um, but that is what it is referred to when it is a um a made-up taxidermy so mm-hmm. if you see like two-headed okay. most two-headed ducklings or things jackalopes. like that, jackalopes um those are called gaffs and i think i'm gonna save that and maybe do a, a gaff taxidermy episode at some point if people are into it yeah hit us up for part two <laughs> yeah sound off in the comments if you want to see some gaff taxidermy <laughs> But yeah, that was my kind of a history of taxidermy. I think it's a really interesting art. I'm not sure 
that I would want to do it myself. Like there was like at the fair, they had like a class that you could Mm -hmm. sign up for where you were making your own little mount. And as you mentioned, like dissecting stuff, I was definitely the person who like took the notes and let my lab partner do all of the (laughs) dissecting because I don't like to touch gross things. Hi, it's Uh... me, your lab partner. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe maybe if you and I can do a co-taxidermy class and I I can observe and you can do all of the touching parts. (laughs) That place in Kansas City that I was talking about, they they do classes and I've thought about it several times. I think it would be really really interesting it is super interesting like i'm i have i've watched some like youtube videos of people like doing a i don't know if that's correct i don't think you would say doing a taxidermy taxidermy. (laughs) um (laughs) creating a taxidermied mount (laughs) but yeah it's super fun and since you brought up moths I don't know if it's technically taxidermy, but I bought a super sweet mounted moth at the convention that I'm so excited to hang up. It's in a beautiful vintage frame, and I'm very excited. Can't wait for you to send me a picture of that as soon as we're done here today. Yes. (laughs) I I was going to send it to you in advance, and then I was like, no, I'm going to tell her on the podcast. (laughs) I'm going to make it a surprise. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But yeah, um highly recommend um checking out Nauties and Curiosities Expo if it's coming near you. Um great opportunity to check out and shop with a lot of dark vendors and let us know if you had taxidermy in your house when you were growing up slash are you from the Midwest? I was going to say yeah, let us know if you're also Midwest trash. <laughs> Um, or if there is an awesome diorama that you've seen in a museum that you would love to share, feel free to shoot it over. I like seeing cool stuff. Yes, me too. Love cool stuff. Big fan. Love cool stuff. (laughs) Um, And if you love cool and spooky stuff, uh, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast because we talk about cool stuff every week. Um, and if you would like to help share the podcast, it really helps us out if you give us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. And if you would like to follow along and see what else we're doing, see photos of taxidermy and things like that, <laughs> uh, you can find us on Instagram at Ghouls Night in Pod. And if you are looking for us individually, you can find me across all platforms at Midge Munster. And you'll find me at Penny Snark. And until next time, good- goodbye. Bye.